We are in the, the middle of uh, a series in the life of Joseph, so if you want to be in your Bibles, turning to Genesis chapter 47. Linda's got a bulletin, there's an outline in there. We will not get through that whole outline today, and that's all right. Uh, we'll get through part of it. So if you need a bulletin, raise your hand and she'll be happy to give you one. But Genesis 47 is where we will be, uh, beginning in verse 13. We are at that point where it seems that all's going well for Jacob and his descendants. They have uh, arrived safely in Egypt, a grand reunion, best of the land. And then there's this uh, little interlude uh, that, that takes place that, that has more to do with the Egyptians than it does Jacob or his family, but Joseph is very much involved. You've been watching a show and, and, or a movie and there's a character that you think is a good guy and then he turns out to be the bad guy? That, that twist? As we read this, I'm reminded that, that I think Joseph's a good guy, but then I read this and I think, hmm, maybe not. So Genesis chapter 47 beginning in verse 13 uh, through verse 27 we read these words. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? Our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said, We will not hide from our Lord that our money is all spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon the land. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt to the border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own seed for the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and were fruitful, and became very numerous. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at your word this morning. I pray that you would encourage us by it, that we would see your hand and your sovereignty and your goodness. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, Joseph up to this point has been the good guy, but 
we read this, and this, this seems really un-American, if I may say so. Um, right? Over the course of seven years, Joseph transfers all the capital of the country from individual hands to the state. All the money, all the animals, and all the land are now owned by Pharaoh. I don't know about you, but as an American who, who likes free enterprise and capitalism, I kind of shudder at that thought. That over the course of seven years, this massive transfer of capital could take place. And he reduces the people to sharecroppers. Right? The government owns the land and I'm going to let you farm and I get a cut off of everything that you grow. And we, we kind of step back and go, you know, is, is Joseph just sticking it to these guys? <laughs> is he playing fair? Is this the way that it's supposed to go? See, we don't like that because we've grown up in America and we value free enterprise and capitalism and our public form of government, right? And, and we know that an individual can manage stuff better than the state, right? Except, you know what? That's not true. Not in the grand scheme of things. And you know why it's not true? Because people are sinful. Now, there are lots of times when individuals can manage things better than the state, but there are times when the state can manage things better than individuals. And what it depends upon ultimately is, do the individuals or the state have the wisdom to make good decisions? And, and what, I, what I think what's going on here is, is God wants us to see that wisdom is what saves people not a particular form of economics or a particular form of government. See, we like our Republican form of, of government. We like to elect representatives and, and have them make decisions. We're not really fond of anarchy and we're not really fond of dictators. But remember the passage I read at the beginning in Philippians? One day we will all live under a dictatorship and it will be the best form of government that we've ever experienced because it will be a benevolent and good dictator. So what's going on here? I mean, is Joseph just grabbing what he can get? For Pharaoh, what's, what's interesting is it says that Joseph gave it all to Pharaoh. He didn't keep any for himself. I think we need to keep that in mind that Joseph is still making wise decisions. And there are two things, I think, that are going on here. Number one, this is a fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham. Those that bless you, Abraham, and I'm, I'm assuming he means by that the covenant family, not just Abraham individually, but his covenant family. I'm going to bless those people. And so Pharaoh has blessed Abraham's family by giving them the best of the land in the midst of a famine, these strangers, these foreigners... In exchange, God is blessing Pharaoh. He has the right to do that. He's enriching him. He's giving him all that he needs, could want, or desire through the hand of Joseph. See, the other problem is we look at that as Americans see, we always look at situations as win-lose. Pharaoh wins, everyone else loses. 
But again, I think that's an American way of looking at things. Because in this passage, everybody wins. The people even say so at the end. You have saved our lives. And I want to give you six reasons why I think that's true. Okay? Six things that are going on here culturally that we may not be aware of as to why the fact Joseph isn't just ripping everybody off. Okay? Number one, people without God's guidance don't make wise decisions. People without God's guidance don't make wise decisions. The, the climate of Egypt, especially back then we have records, was prone to drought and abundance. Drought and abundance. Feast and famine. The problem is, we're in the middle of feast, we don't think about famine, right? If it wasn't for Joseph storing up grain for seven years, a whole bunch of people would have died, right? And so the people, in and of themselves, aren't going to make provision for the future. That sort of is human nature. People tend to not want to save up for the future. Some do it really well. But a lot of people, if they get something... Something flashy catches their eye and they want to spend it. Savings is not the ordinary way of life. And so by Joseph, in one sense, demanding 20%, the state always had reserve for when people made poor decisions. Number two, Joseph's actions don't lessen the value of grain. See, they had a bunch of grain. They could have just given it to everybody as welfare, right? Over the course of seven years, just keep doling it out. And what happens when you keep giving people things over and over again they don't have to work for? They get used to it, right? So he is, he is continually putting before the people, what I am giving you has value. In other words, it's worth working for. It's worth spending something that's valuable to you. He's continuing to teach that grain, that food is valuable. Number three, 80% is extremely generous for someone who's a sharecropper. In that culture, in that day, in that in the ancient Near East, kings usually took between one-third and two-thirds of what people grew every year. Right? Pharaoh's only taking one-fifth. It's extremely generous. Think, well, yeah, that was back then. 1800s, 1900s in America, if you were a sharecropper, the best that you could hope for to keep was two-thirds. Often they took a half. Cotton plantations in the South, outside of slavery, if you were a sharecropper, you usually got to keep a half. If you owned your own implements, you owned your own horse, you owned your own plow, then they might let you keep two-thirds, but never 80%. He's extremely generous to the people and allowing them to build wealth over time. We also don't think it's unfair because the people were grateful. They said, you've saved our lives. When they came the last time, you said... You realize that they, the text says our bodies and our land are yours. They use the word corpses. <laughs> hey, we're about to die. If you don't do something, we're about to die. 
they realized that, that Joseph was kind and generous to allow them to continue to live. There was no quota. We read in Exodus that, that the Israelites, once the king changed hands, put a quota. They had to make a certain number, regardless of the conditions. This isn't a quota system. It teaches the value of hard work. The harder you work, the more you get. Yes, I'm taking 20%, but you always get 80%. If you work hard, the more you work, the more you produce, the more you get. A quota system robs people's initiative to work. Again, Joseph wanted them to see the value of work. And finally, the nation prospered under this system. The text says that was still in place at the time of the writing, which Moses wrote 400 years later. This 80-20 system allowed the nation to prosper, and we have records of the nation prospering. And when the Israelites left Egypt, it says they plundered the Egyptians of all their goods and gold and clothing, right? They had stuff. They acquired things. Through this system in place, Egypt not only was saved, but it prospered. And so we need to be careful not to look at things through American eyes and think what's going on here. Uh, culturally, and for the sake of Pharaoh, for the sake of the people, this is a good deal. Now, you may be thinking, and you should be thinking, well, what happens if we don't get a wise king? What happens if the situation changes and this is in place? Won't he up it to 25% and then 30 and then 35 and then 40 uh, yeah, probably so. And so we need to take away from this just a couple of lessons that I think are very helpful for us to understand. Number one, a righteous and wise ruler can make any economic system beneficial to both himself and the people. A wise and righteous ruler can make any economic system beneficial to himself and the people. The converse of that is also true. An unwise or an unrighteous leader can make any economic system detrimental to the people. It may benefit himself still, but it will harm the people. We see that one far more often than we see the other one, don't we? These people come to power and they like power and they take power and they want more and more and more to the harm and the detriment of their people. So what's the application of that? Okay, we've learned some nice facts. Hopefully, maybe I've convinced you that Joseph's not a bad guy after all. So what? I don't live in Egypt. Much different situation, much different culture. What do I do? Well, we take those principles and we say, okay, it would be helpful if we had wise leaders. So there's two very specific applications. Number one, are you praying for your state and your local and your federal government officials? And do you do that on a regular basis? Because, see, they need God's wisdom to rule righteously. They need to not be swayed by their fellow man or what's in it for them or their constituents who believe differently than we do. Are you praying for your leaders from the local level up to the national level. But then, number two, ultimately, laws and rules and systems of economics 
don't get anybody in or out of heaven, nor do they usually change people's minds about who God is. And so the greatest thing that we can do to impact our country, to impact the economics of not only this place, but this state and this country, is are we being the light of Christ? Because what will change this country ultimately is changing hearts. Now, there are a lot of laws I would love to see implemented. I would love to see abortion done away with. But you know what? If abortion was still legal and hearts were changed, there would be a whole lot less people seeking them. And that's just one example of many. If hearts are changed, there's a lot of things that might be on the books that become irrelevant for us. And so let me challenge you. Are you praying for your leaders? And are you being the light of Christ? Which begins with, do I know Him? Do I know Him myself? Do I know Him well? Do I spend time with Him? Do I know His heartbeat? Do I know what excites Him? Do I know His passion for the lost? Are you spending time with Him? And then are you putting yourselves in, in situations where you spend time with people who don't know Him? Are we willing to share Christ with those who, who haven't heard of Him yet? He has a wonderful plan through this body and others in this county to see things change. And the question is, will we be a part of that? Will we be a part of what He desires to do in Cherokee County um, as through His Spirit He enlivens us and quickens us to do the work that He's called us to do. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank You for Your love and for Your Word. God, I pray that You would um, use that to encourage and challenge us to be the people that You've called us to be. Through Your Spirit, as we leave today, I ask that You would um, remind us of the truth of who You are and what You have done for us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one more time?